Welcome to the Sencast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sencast and the managing director of B Squared. The Sencast is here. It's a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very, very busy and we do not have time to sit and read. And the Sencast is a great way to get the same consistent message to schools, external professionals and parents. My guest this week is Abigail Gray from SendWorks. Abigail is an SEND consultant, trainer, Nesenko tutor, mentor, and author. And in this episode, we're discussing who leads on SEND in schools. Is it the Senko or is it the head teacher? The Sencast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. Everyone knows about our assessment software, but have you heard of Eversense? Eversense is our evidence and parent communication system. It feels like social media, so it's extremely easy to understand and use. It's designed to be extremely secure, a safe place to share evidence of learning with parents or external professionals. It is also a great way to capture people's voice or to use it as your homeschool diary, reading diaries, lots of different uses. Visit the B Squared website to find out more about Eversense or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me take you through ever since but now let's get on with the podcast in this week's show we're discussing who leads on SEND in school is it the Senko or is it the head teacher Discussing this topic with me today is Abigail Gray. Abigail is an SEND consultant, a trainer, and they Senko tutor, a mentor, an author. She has been an LSA, a teacher, a Senko, a senior leader. She's ticking lots of boxes. And before that, before the, did all of that before leaving to start SEN Works. And Abigail spends a lot of time supporting schools to be more inclusive and supporting schools to focus on SEND. Welcome to the show, Abigail. Oh, thank you, Dale. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while, so it's, I'm, I'm really sort of delighted that you've invited me on to talk to me. Sounds like you said, almost like finally invited me on then. Almost, you missed it out there, thankfully. Did I? You didn't say it, but if it was feeling <laughs> like I've listened to this for ages, and I finally, finally, after all this time, got here. No, welcome. Thank you. Before we get started, at the time of recording, we both just got back from the TSSCN show in London. I was on the same cast, obviously, and I met lots of listeners, and you were visiting. How was the show for you? Do you know, it was a complete whirlwind. I was working Friday, so I was only able to go up for Saturday. And we had about four hours, and it's always a really important check-in for me with what's out there, what people are doing, what's new. Because, Dale, I hate to say this, you know, I've been around a while now. I was 55 this summer, and I started as a TA when I was 22. So the Send Show, the Test Send Show used to be called something else and it's been around for years, hasn't it? So yeah. every couple of years I will go just just to check in whether sort of speaking or not and just sort of see how people's products, their thinking, especially the digital stuff is developing. And I'm always kind of A, blown away and encouraged because there are so many incredible thinkers uh, yeah. moving in this sector. It makes me a bit sad that there aren't more, you know, just classroom teachers there. I think it's a space where I encounter lots of TAs and Senkos and therapists and specialists and actually more these days parents. When I was head at the moat and we had stands there, we would meet lots of parents, prospective parents. But actually, you know, you'll the more we talk probably, the more you'll realise that my... My understanding of a great SEND provision is a SEND provision that reaches consistently into all classrooms. And I think developing your knowledge and understanding of your vulnerable students, your students who are in some senses outliers, is actually, that is the real bread and butter about being a great teacher for for everyone. And so I just want to do a massive shout out to anybody that's thinking of going to the show. Just tell all your staff. They can rock up on a Saturday. There's great places to have lunch and to go and have a drink afterwards in Islington. So, you know, I just wish more people that weren't specifically in our space were there because it's it's fab. Yeah. Friday's really, really busy on the education side. 
Saturday we get the you get the most dedicated people who aren't allowed out on the Friday. <laughs> They're not allowed out. That's not happening. Do not have the budget to send you out to. So they come along on a Saturday and the passion from all the people we get to talk to is really, really cool. And they've got the Parent Carers Forum on the Saturday. And that was run by um, a podcast called Grumpy Git, if I remember that correctly, and PDA Dad, <laughs> who I met. Lots of fun. So it was great to catch up with them and meet them. But on the Eddie um, ACSL Leadership Summit there as well. Yes, right acronym. I'm nodding. Not, it's the other way around, but yes, so that's good. They were there. So there's lots going on. There's mm. so many seminars. And what I really love is a lot of the guests on the podcasts are speakers. Yeah. So for me, it is a really good chance to catch up with all the speakers and talk to them and what they're up to and find out what they're seeing in the world of SEN. But also, which I love, is I get to meet lots of the listeners, which was really, really cool. So if you came along and said hello to me on the Sendcast stand at TS Show, thank you for just coming along and saying hello. It's really nice to hear the people who listen to me as they go for a run. Apparently, I do lots of running with people. So I'm going to take that as part of my fitness. Personally. So you're kind of like a coach, really, a fitness coach as well. Wow. Faster. I don't mind the dog, mind the dog poo. <laughs> Left a bit, right a bit. Faster. Come on. Yeah, no, that's not me. But also, there's a, there's a group of people from a school who had a big group selfie photo taken with me because their friend with COVID, who loves the podcast, couldn't come along to the show. So for that person who has COVID who couldn't go along, this is a little shout out to you. But yeah, it's really good because you just got to ask them, and see where the conversations go at the show and what is that, that, as you said, that pulse of what's going on. So I love it. So, yeah, I'm glad you loved it too. If you don't go, I also love, there's lots of nice places to eat and drink as well in that area, and that is a very good point. It is one of the things we look forward to when we go. But it's just a great show. It is. And I always uh, say to my Senkos that there are lots of products there that are available that are possibly, you know, there are sometimes deals at shows. So I know everybody's worried about their budgets and worried about what they can afford and what they can't afford. It's really great to be able to look around and actually sometimes pick up pick up a, a lead or a bit of a bargain or an insight on some training that that would otherwise have cost you a fair amount of money. The seminars, to hear your lovely participants kind of speak, are are really relatively inexpensive if you compare them to sort of big, sort of send-specific commercial days, which can really set you back a few hundred quid. Definitely, definitely. Right, now let's get back to the topic. Let's get back to the topic. Who leads on SEND in schools? It's a really great question. It's something that has been kind of... I'd say almost obsessing me for years, really, as a consultant and now as a a kind of a trainer and and someone that works a lot with Senkos. I think in one of my books, I said something like, send can't be isolated in a school like a broken arm. You can't kind of isolate it and set it. When I'm invited in to do consultancy, what I'm really looking at is is the link-ups, the integration. It's much more like the nervous system of a school than a limb, okay? Yes. So when you're talking about who leads, it's about who is it? And it could be one person, it could be a collective of people in leadership who recognise the need for that connectivity, okay? So... You know, we have so many different kinds of schools and different kinds of leadership leadership structures in our schools these days. I can't give you an answer because some schools, you know, multi-academy trust have an inclusion lead that's over, you know, a number of different uh, professionals with all kinds of names that filters down to Senkos. Some Senkos are kind of relatively autonomous and work in schools that are a kind of single entity and sit Uh, at at a level where they can uh, work collaboratively with the SLT and draw those connections together. Um, Some, for me, when I first started out as a Senko back in the early noughties, it wasn't even called Senko then, I was a learning development manager. I was in a big school of about 1,200 kids with about 140 staff. And I was... In those days, I was considered a pretty young middle manager in my sort of mid-20s, but I was line managed by the principal of the organisation. 
And so what happened was that principle recognised the complexity, the sensitivity and the need for integration and actually how difficult it is leading from the middle, working with colleagues, bringing them on board, encouraging them to reflect and change. And they sort of nurtured my voice, but represented it at a level where, to be honest, I just didn't have the credibility to sell. I had great ideas, Dale, believe you me. You know, I I was a creative thinker and I think I was probably really good, but I didn't have the confidence and I wasn't sort of robust enough to sit in an exec of people who'd been in education 20 years and kind of, you know, share my thoughts. And that worked fine. So, So I suppose my first answer to this question is, it depends. To me, and I, and I go, I've been to lots of schools. I've travelled, been going to schools since the early noughties as well, and you meet lots of schools. And generally what I find in most schools, I'm going to say you need an ideas person and a bulldog in senior leadership. Wow, wow, wow. You need someone who has an idea and then someone who makes it happen. It doesn't matter which way round they are. The head could be the leader, the deputy could be the bulldog, or the deputy could be the leader and the head could be the bulldog. But it's just... There is an idea. We need to make it happen. If you just have bulldogs everywhere, then kind of you're not really coming up with anything new. You're just kind of chasing everything and making sure everything happens. If you have two ideas, people, you're having lots of ideas, but never, you never really get anywhere with them. So you, I, for me, in a lot of leadership, you need an ideas person and that bulldog. And it's that making sure that we need to do this. We definitely got to do this and making it happen. And I think when we think of leadership and send, that Senko should be leading. As you just said there, often they don't feel recognised. They don't feel if they stood up in front of everyone, they would be listened to. And sometimes it says, is, I like the fact your uh, line manager was the principal. But then it also shows that Send is, just, again, you're silo, you were siloed off. You weren't in the main system. You're a separate bit off to the side. But you work with the principal and the principal supported you. So I love the practice that the principal really supported you and really kind of those ideas you had happened. But it is, I worry whenever I see things like that, that actually that Senko shouldn't be off to the side in a separate bit. It needs to be in the middle, like the nervous system with everything around them. And that's what I think we really need to get to. But what's worse is I see lots of Senkos out there on the side, sitting there, not included, but the head not representing them either. I tell you, I mean, you've said a few things there that I kind of want to come back to. <laughs> I love I love the notion of the bulldog. I actually, in my in my, my my analogy is the steamroller. And wow, I've met a few steamrollers and sometimes you need one. But what we're really talking about is agency. You need agency in the organisation. And I actually think, you know, in order sometimes to represent something which is generally, you know, which is a change, which will require people to reflect and maybe move away from their default setting. Yeah, you need that dogged persistence. But I also feel like there is, there's a real role for leadership to recognise the various aspects, qualities, the knowledge and the skill that a Senko has to exercise. That's another really important part of it. And just, I mean, what you're talking about is a seat at the table, okay? And so all the research, you know, the Senko workload stuff that they did at Bath Spa, which is, you know, fantastically useful research looking at kind of what, what, Senko's need and one of the things they came come up with obviously is a role is a role in SLT amongst you know a couple of other things which I'm sure we'll talk about but for me there's a kind of little Venn diagram that I draw when I'm when I'm kind of doing a review or, or consultancy in a school and I'm thinking about the agency that Senko has to discharge this huge kind of operational role running the day-to-day send provision in the school And it has three circles and it has one word in each circle. So competence is one circle. Accountability is another. 
and yeah. authority is another, right? And they interlock. And what I ask Senkos to do is plot themselves. And what you want is someone that's in the middle. You want them to be competent, but also provided with the training they require to become more competent, to stay competent, because you and I from the Sen Show know things don't stand still. Yes. You need them in the terms of their accountability to have, and this is where we get into kind of school improvement structures and, and CEFs and all of that jazz. You've got to ask the Senko the right questions and you've got to ask your send provision the right questions in order to understand whether it's performing for you. So the accountability structures have got to be, a, they've got to be right and they've got to be about, about the right things and that requires the head has some real knowledge and understanding of what's involved. And they also need a degree of authority because it's not about telling people what to do. It's about providing stimulus and opportunity for people to reflect and respond. And, you know, I work with Senkos constantly who are churning out information, data, pupil passports, digestive diagnostic reports, they are putting out into their school realm detailed, useful information about young people. But if they don't have any authority to kind of invite feedback from that, to get colleagues to engage with it, they're going to struggle. And you'd be amazed at how few people can put that little X in the middle and actually, that's what they need their senior teams and their heads and their SEND governors and everybody else to be helping them kind of achieve. They need to get in the middle. And what you call that job, I don't care. What I care <laughs> is that the job title carries with it the agency and, and for those things to remain in balance, you know? Yes. And I think one of the things I see a lot in uh, various social media groups is you get an idea when people are posting how that Senko role sits in that school. And often you can almost feel that sometimes that Senko, the way they post is they come across lower than a teacher because, oh, if I can't do this, I will pass it off. Like maybe I'm passing off to a TA. That's when they get the Senko involved. And the way it's done is often not in a respectful way. And you just read these things where actually, oh, yeah, we've done this. And they're letting the Senko know afterwards. They're not really, they're not going to that Senko for advice. They're not getting the support early. It's, and you recollect going, this isn't right. And you get, even recently in a group, it was, oh, I've been asked by the head teacher to write a curriculum guide for the SEN students. It's like, no. That is the job of these subject leads because they are lead for the subject for every pupil, not the non-SEM pupils. You are there to support and provide advice. Yeah, that is your area of expertise, but it is their responsibility to write that curriculum document for each area, not yours. And you just kind of see kind of in the school that position, how low that Senko position can seem in some schools because that head isn't really supporting them see but i i think sometimes we're in a position and i i don't i don't disagree with you i think that very often senkos don't necessarily have the sort of agency i've described and don't necessarily have i i want to move away from the word respect because i think generally colleagues respect each other but i think possibly sometimes colleagues don't know quite what's involved here Yes. I think they don't quite realise, you know, I think the, I can't remember what page of the code of practice it is where they list the kind of role of the Senko and the word liaison and advise and support is used about 19 times. But I, I think colleagues who are not engaged in some of the processes that Senkos get engaged in, I don't think they quite realise how time consuming, how effortful and how knowledge rich they are. Like, Dale, I've been doing this, as I said, a long time, over 30 years now. And I've worked in all kinds of spaces. One of the things that I didn't mention and is, is I did some time for Ipsy as a tribunal rep. So when I came out of headship, I trained and I and I went into tribunal as a volunteer to support families. And and I had been doing 
work in that space. It was not my first rodeo when it came to tribunal, but wow, did I learn more about the principles and the law underlying. You know, and that is just one subsection, right, of of a whole host of other areas of competency. And actually, you know, I train on the Naysenko Award and the, the space for bureaucratic and legal sort of operational stuff you know, is generally not huge on on those courses. Obviously, I'm very keen and interested in it. But what I'm saying is that that colleagues possibly don't fully understand the dimensions that the the Senko's role has. And that obviously, because it's sort of multidimensional, there's legal principle stuff, there's all the bureaucratic stuff, there is the pedagogical stuff about optimising conditions for learning in the classroom and all the adaptive teaching stuff, which is very much my bag I'm very interested in and do a lot of training in deployment of TAs. I kind of get worried about the word deployment. It, it, it sounds a little bit sort of less human than it really is because it's about, yeah. you know, working with empowering training, supporting TAs to deliver support in the classroom, making them more effective. There's that bit. There's the working with external agencies bit which is what if you've been teaching two or three years, right? You've done your Nesenko Award and you're having conversations with educational psychologists, speech and language therapists, people from your local authority that have possibly been in their roles for many years and have kind of a whole plethora of letters after their name. There's a, there's a sort of dynamic there to deal with and a whole set of understanding. You know, I, I would have been working 10 years before I spe- met a speech and language therapist in the flesh and actually <laughs> looked at a kelf or, or looked at some of the sort of detailed assessments. There's a lot to learn there. Do you know what? My brain's, it's is running out of, I could just go on and on and on. There's a whole set of stuff that, that that sure as heck isn't in teacher training, that Senkos pick up along their way. They go to shows, they read books, they network with each other. And actually, the head teacher can play a really helpful role in sharing some of that uh, understanding with their team you know, in in stories of benefit. I'm a big one for stories of benefit. You know, when you're going to get people to do things that are difficult, you tell them the great stuff that happens when they do. That's what makes people do something, not a list of just work through all this stuff. You have to kind of know there's benefit. And I think very often Senkos will get through an assessment process for a plan perhaps, and they'll be successful And they will have uh, an EHCP that has a clear, useful provision at the end of it. And then they go through the process and they secure the funding. And then that child receives the support that has been necessary. And sometimes we just tick it off, move on. But where's the story about, wow, I just want to shout out to my Senko here, who I know spent, I'd say 100 hours working on this. And so I want everybody to be really clear that they've looked at this kid's pupil passport, that they know the technology that we need to be using, that they know the adaptations that I want us all to make, not in one classroom, not in four classrooms, but in all of them, because the amount of energy and time, not just on the Senko's part, but on the part of that young person who's been through assessment and their family this is a collective amount. It's untold hours of work. That's what we're picking up on here. It's not just a folder on your desk. No. The thing is, I think one of the biggest issues is it's not the training the Senko receives. I'll leave that for some other time. It's the training everyone else receives. Ah, hallelujah, yeah. Initial teacher training. Send. Early careers framework. It's a little bit. It's just not there. And the fact that you have the SEND code of practice, oh, is that for the Senko then? No, it's for every teacher. It, it almost should be merged into the teaching standard so it's one giant document. Not here's what everyone, oh, well, there's another additional document. But don't worry about reading that. It's only if you've got it. It's that sort of bolt-on at every level. It's not core. And SEN, we know all the numbers. We know the EHCPs. We know the national standard, all the percentages. That should be an initial teacher training. Yeah, it should be in the early, it should be everywhere. So that when actually you realise, actually there's so much I don't know, 
who do I go to? And then you're starting to put that Senko on a pedestal. Actually, we have you have to do all this stuff. How do I do all that? Go talk to your Senko. They will help you. And you're putting them on a pedestal. And if we do that, then that that authority and that I want to still say the word respect. I know what you mean. It's, it's that professional respect, not the personal respect, that professional respect. It grows. I tell you, you know, as I said, every time you speak, you you kind of link to about four different ideas in my head. One is that on the Naysenko Award, I think it's Kian's model. He did some research about Senkos and identified different roles. And I think it's the rescuer, the expert, the collaborator, etc. And the kind of bunch of different roles that Senkos can possibly kind of have. What do we know about training, right? What we know about training is, and this is someone, I, you know, I do training and sell training for a living. And sometimes I do big events that are one-offs. But what I've been building is training that can be broken down and drip, 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 because the kind of training that you want included in initial teacher kind of training, an ECF for me, is training that kind of sets a clear agenda for training moving forward. And, you know, we have obligatory training for child protection in our schools, safeguarding health and safety. But there is no absolute obligation for head teachers to use their time and budget and resources to to focus on ensuring that a level of understanding about inclusive practice is just built in because that for me that's what's necessary it's about coming back and coming back and coming back and it has to be in manageable chunks because otherwise it just becomes overwhelming and it, it you know the more is more approach you know what it's like in some sort of educational websites where you go there and there's such a kind there's such an enormous bank of knowledge you just think, oh, no, 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 I can't handle it. And you back away. And actually, the way to the way to kind of, I think, train in send is to go is to walk along with people and at every stage to invite them to reflect. How does this how does this uh, how does this affect my practice? How does this relate to my own experience? Because I think that's the only thing that leads to any real change. You have it has to be relatable. Therefore, you have to time it right. And actually, digital stuff. What we're doing now, the podcast thing, the online thing, has been great because it means that you know you can do half an hour, forty minutes, fifteen minutes once a week, whenever rather than sitting, you know what it used to be like in the old days, you'd go in on the first day of term and just be hit by a wall of ideas and think, oh, Lord, and just wait for lunch, you know, and only it's like chucking, I always say it's like chucking ping pong balls at someone. If if you just throw 100 ping pong balls at someone, most of them are going to bounce off. We've got to make it, we've got to make it more drip, drip, drip than that. And that requires real thinking about what are the principles here what's 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 our agenda for training moving forward the other thing the department for education are great at and policy is great at is writing one sentence that encompasses a host of knowledge you know like in the teacher standards teachers being able to differentiate to meet the needs of pupils with send oh we did that in a sentence so I'm sure it can't take much longer than it took to read a sentence to do it it's one of the most difficult things you could ever possibly ask you know it's a complex thing just because it's a sentence doesn't mean it's easy also what I hate about government policy is the uh, use of all and all did you hear the difference then I'll do it again all and all no, you're going to have to help me out here. What do you mean so, by that? So the first one is all children. Right. The second one is all children but SEN. Sound exactly the same. And you read them in a document, and half the time you won't know which one you're reading until you start questioning it. And then they go, oh, no, no, you did something different for SEN children. But it says all children. Well, no, we mean all children who are going to take this. And you say, I don't mean all. It's just a quick way of writing it, and there isn't any guidance. And they say, oh, oh they'll, they'll do their own thing for the SEN. You're going, but you wrote all. And I see this a lot, and you read it and going, you don't mean every child. You mean 
the mainstream. And it's that different. It's hard to see. It doesn't actually exist in the document. But when you read it and think about it, you're going, you don't mean all. You mean all. You mean just that mainstream. The problem is, is so many systems take it as all. And you end up with training. So your English lead will go off and training to learn all the new maths thing, which doesn't touch on SEO in any form. It's more about this. And the same with the maths. All these amazing schemes are really, really good. But it's not there for the bottom. It's the SEO trying to push the top and say, we can do all these amazing things, but where's... Where's the support for every child in that? And it often doesn't exist. And people then struggle. What am I supposed to do? Because this is the scheme we have to use and I have to do this. And you, your English team will go off and do all this amazing training on English, but how much of it covers SEN? How many people in your school, for those listening, how many people in your school listen to this podcast? It's not the only SEN podcast. There are others. But actually... How much SEN training are they picking up bit by bit? And the answer is, sadly, in most schools, not a lot. Now, I meet some schools where the Sengo does a really good job and just fires off, listen to this episode, everyone, it's great, it'll help you with this chart, <laughs> we'll do this. And it's great. We, it's that drip feeding as it's needed, as you said. As it's needed, you fire it out. Oh, we've got, this will really help that child in year three. This will help that child in year five. And you're drip feeding it and it will be great. But every teacher, in reality, should be listening to podcasts around SEN because every single teacher in this country has a child in their class with SEM. Lots. I mean, you're hitting on some really quite big themes here, Dale. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about this whole conversation around quality first teaching, sorry, high quality teaching and where um, I've seen that... excellent teaching written there okay, by the government. Well, I'm sure that, you know, soon. we'll we'll keep renaming something, but it's we kind of know what we mean. However, in the new improvement plan, obviously there is a real emphasis on, you know, universal, ordinarily available provision, OAP, and what it should be capable of doing. And so, you know, I've had the real joy of having the opportunity to work with SEND authors, not just from the UK, but Helena Wahlberg in Sweden and Carol Tomlinson in the States and looking at the language of adaptive teaching differentiation and universal design for learning kind of on a, in a bigger, in a, in a, on a kind of broader kind of canvas. And what really worries me is I, my whole, all my work really is, I suppose, a sort of version of universal design in that what I'm looking at is how we can raise our skill level to include more and more children in mainstream teaching to the extent they can benefit from it and thrive within it. That's what I'm all about. That's what my frameworks are are designed to do. However, there is also an acknowledgement in all my work that there will always be the need to make an additional adaptation or an enhancement or create an alternative for some children. And actually, what we have to do is lift both columns, right? We have to build our practice. And I mean consistent. As I've said before, five classrooms working in this way in an organisation is not enough. It's got to be everybody. So we've got to create the conditions for greater consistency. And I love the work that Tom Charrington and the walkthrough guys do on Rosenshine's principles of instruction and kind of getting consistent process practice in place across a setting fantastic and then looking at how we can encourage teachers all teachers to sort of engage with send and the neurodiversity discourse agenda what's going on this is a dynamic space in order that they can better use and reflect upon the information about individual children that they're getting from their Senkos. And I think at the moment, Senkos have got a kind of really significant job on their hands because on the one hand, they have a very important role to play, and I think the role will become, become bigger, in making sure they're working with teaching and learning leads and curricular leads to build inclusive pedagogy and curricula 
But at the same time, they have this role to be the font of all knowledge on specific areas of difficulty and disability and, and build systems. And very often systems are absolutely key systems that are effective in getting important information about a child's journey, their abilities, the things that hold them back out there in a way that are attractive for their colleagues to engage with. Because it's kind of like fishing, you know, you bait the line, you chuck your line out and you see how many people you can catch. Because what you're doing is saying, look, I have this incredibly important bit of information about this youngster here. We know that they've been they've been touch typing since they were eight. And actually, they're phenomenally good at using, you know, mind view software or whatever. They really dislike it when we, you know, invite them to you know, use some sort of low-tech tool for feeding back. Hanging on to the detail and pointing people in the direction of the detail is kind of one part of the job. And the other part of the job is ensuring that we're building, you know, classroom practice that's consistent and inclusive. It's a big old job, that. And so you do need to be sitting alongside the senior team. That's where we started this, wasn't it? I forgot what we were talking about for a minute. And it's exactly that. It's such a big job. And it is... It is, you are an advisor in reality in the school. You are advising at all the different levels. It should be a case of you're advising on the behavior policy, you're advising on the English policy, you're advising on the maths policy, you're advising on the attendance policy, you're advising on every single thing going on in the school. And you're giving that perspective from the SEND side that kind of all those conversations with parents going, I know you want my child in school, they want their child in school, but this is maybe not the best way to go about it type thing. And all those sorts of things, that's your role. But then it is actually got a new child coming in or a teacher, child moving up from one class to the next. What do I do? How do I support? You're a signposter. Absolutely. You're this. You're doing There's so many things. It's, I just, I think the Senko is just not put on that pedestal in that way. So, I mean, and, and I'm just thinking, you know, what is it we're asking for here? Because it's it's easy to stray into these huge conversations. Do you know what I mean? And just kind of try and set the whole world to rights. But all I want, right, is heads that understand the size of the job that they're putting in their job specs, okay? I am really hopeful and I, I believe and I hope that when you write a job description for somebody, you have some notion of what it is, you know, length and breadth, quality and quantity, what it is that you're asking them to deliver, and that there is some acknowledgement of time, agency, access to colleagues, SLT, support, and then obviously money, and, you know, support well-being tools that are put in place. And I think, I think that's what that's what I want. I just want mindfulness around what people are being asked to do, because it's very easy, as I said, to write in a few sentences something which is slightly unquantified. And we have this weird thing in teaching, don't we, where we chop up our lives into chunks of time, lessons, contact time, non-contact time. And we sort of apportion it out across the weeks of the term and the terms of the year. And there's an assumption made that the reflection, the thinking, the connections, the meetings, all of that, it'll just fit into these these time slotted pockets. And clearly, you know, there's there's always going to be a a to do list that constantly kind of you work through in it. And my entry, I don't think, you know, your entry, I don't think ever empties completely. But you need someone in a senior position who at least asks about and cares about the amount of time that it takes you to achieve a certain goal. I mean, I I have had people come up to me recently sort of talking about having their timetables kind of radically altered without consultation. You know, we we need this done, so you're going to have X more lessons here. And... I think it's about, you know, I was ahead for many years and one has to really be mindful of what one asks one's colleagues to do. It's yes. only fair. Yes. Set people up for success. 
and allow them to come to you when they think, hey, 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 I'm, I, I'm not... I'm not managing here. And one of the tips I always give to Senkos, right, I'm trying to think of positive, really positive and helpful things I can say to Dale, not just kind of go, oh, is keep a list of stuff you want, right? It's easy to have a list of gripes, things that get you down, things that are in your way, okay? On your desk, on the wall, have a list of what you want, what would be helpful in making life more efficient, more enjoyable, more kind of productive, even if it's something that costs money. Because if miracles happen and there was a budget sudden need for something, don't be the one hesitating. Be the one in the room going, actually, great, yeah, I know what we can spend that on. What would be amazing is this. So always just always have a list of things you want. And if what you want is half a day a week with a support administrator, you know, that might be top of your list. Or it just might be, a you know, a space to work or, or an opportunity for staff training that was every six weeks rather than every term or every year. You know, it, it might be all sorts of things. It might be a digital program for, for young people or, or some extra therapy. Have a list of what you want. You ain't going to get it if you don't ask for it. No. One of the things, we're talking about everything within the current uh, framework. So you mentioned the Senko workload survey and the call for protected time and all of these things. And we're now heading into the SDN DNAP improvement plan. In theory, some of that stuff is going to start coming out end of this term, I Ooh. believe. And one of the first things, it's sort of thing, you have to look at what's in the SAD AP improvement plan and what's not in there, mm. what wasn't even even mentioned at all. And ask you quite a question why. And one of them was there was no mention of Senko protected time. There was no mention of anything like that. But one of the things which is apparently coming out in draft by the end of this year is draft guidance of the role of every person in a trust. So all the way up to trust CEO. Your responsibilities for SEND, head teacher in school, your responsibilities for SEND, every single leader and person at school, this is your responsibilities for SEND. So when we think about this podcast, is it Senko or is it the head teacher? What I feel we're going towards is it's moving more towards that head teacher. I think the long term is it's going to be actually this is a whole school thing. So going back to you being that siloed person off your sports to the principal, it's kind of getting rid of that. It's actually every leader has that responsibility around SEND. But they won't have had been on the training. That's going to take years to build in. So again, there is that big role of that Senko advising, what does this look like? What is it we need? What's all that sort of stuff? And that's one of the things I cannot wait for this guidance to come out. And I'm really, I am very, I'm really hopeful. Yes, I'm Everything, I'm rose-tinted goggles with the AP improvement plan because I want it to be better. And this draft guidance coming out this year, to me, is really going to kind of give me a, are these empty promises or are you really actually trying to change things? And, yes, to me, I'm really excited by what this could mean for schools. I love the notion of distributed responsibility. I love the notion of identifying for people what their responsibilities might be. I think that's fantastic. I even appreciate, she chooses her word really carefully, I even <laughs> appreciate, right, the, the notion that moving away from the National Award for Senkos, the sort of very, uh, you know, which is heavily academic master's level qualification that they, what approximates about 600 hours of study. I always say that really fast when I start course. And we're moving to an MPQ, which I think Hannah Maloney in her blog said she reckoned it was about 82 hours. So that's one way of taking care of time. In the IP plan, I think they're thinking, well, maybe we'll make the training take less time. However, and I, I like the notion that more people in a leadership team, including the head, will have had some SEND-specific training. My concern is breadth and depth. Because SEND is an area plagued with misinformation and misunderstanding, okay? Yes. So, for example, I always invite any SENCO uh, 
I meet in in the English system because obviously our systems are slightly different across the UK and to look at the Ipsy Send Law for Senko's course as a universal, very specifically deep dive into legal principles and processes because despite the kind of different bureaucracies and structures and terminology in place across the how many but how many local authorities are there in England? Is it 152? I don't know. I'm not very good at stats, but something like that. plus will do. Okay. You know, those bureaucracies have their own form. They have their own way of distributing their, their resources. I get that. But there is a, the law is, is national. And I think it's really helpful to have that particular bit of depth somewhere. And it's also then about if you're going to have a lighter touch, more evenly distributed understanding of what one's responsibilities are as educators, you have got to then be able to access specialist knowledge and understanding easily, right? So you've yes. got to have a window, a route to a speech and language therapist to come help you understand a particular child with developmental language disorder who, you know, when your team maybe haven't come across that and have kind of current knowledge about that. You've got to have access to an ed psych or a clinical psychologist or psychiatry or, you know, CAMS. Those, it, it rely to work, it relies upon external agencies being available, right? Available to support their teaching colleagues and it not trying to be the camel getting through the eye of the needle to get an hour to go through a very specific formulated process in order to move on to the next stage of an assessment. Like, we need support for that to work because I, 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 I'm with you, right? You can't have a Senko in the position of, of knowing everything about SEND. Of course, that's not going to work. But you do need, you do need depth sometimes, right? You, you, you need those sort of, I love it, deep dives. Let's use an Ofsted term. You, yes. you need access to that. And I'm not convinced training two new co- cohorts of educational psychologists this year and next year is going to quite do it. And that's the commitment in the improvement plan in terms of external agency enhancement, isn't it? Yes. But I just I just think is if where that Senko is, is doing so much and trying to be that strategic and lead the school, if kind of you get to take that bag off and that gets passed to the senior leaders in the school and you go, look, yeah, you lead on it. I'm here. Ask me the questions. I've got the knowledge. Yeah. Or if I don't, I'll go find it. Yeah. If, if that's one of the things that's kind of reducing that workload and it is then also because it's now a big priority for them, it's raising the Senko profile up as well. So I, I know probably sitting there, probably rolling their eyes at me, all being very <laughs> optimistic. It's like, yes, you've not been in the classroom. I haven't. I haven't been in the classroom. I really hope that actually they've recognised a lot of the issues. And I do think that in the 82 hours, at least if we get the standardised EHCP process, some of that time was actually be on the practical. This is how you fill it out. This is the law around it because it's a much more standardised approach, which means the training people get is going to be much more practical and in the job. There we go. I can't, I'm can't say it. I'm grimacing. I'm grim. <laughs> I can't help it. It's it's just that. Okay, if we're going to train many many more people on an MPQ, that means we need more specialists to do that training, and we're just assuming those people are there. As I said to you, see one of the things I like about Nasenko, amazing. You know, one of the things I really like about it is is the the academic and research bit because it's big picture, little picture, right? So it's relating what's happening in my daily life at school, my to-do list, my expectations from my head to the bigger picture about the, you know, the Salamanca statement. Where does all this come from? What is inclusion about? What is it we're committing to? What are the legal principles that underpin it? What do I think about it? Because understanding something about 
the torch that you're kind of carrying for your school, understanding that this is a young space within education. And I think it was, now someone can type on the notes or I might get it wrong, but I think it was 1970 was the first time a local authority had a legal responsibility to do anything to support people with disabilities. Now that ain't too long ago. And, and so what I'm saying is this stuff needs working out and you have to kind of understand that for example something like a family's a parent's right to a mainstream education for their disabled child having that enshrined in law making it the right of a parent to be able to request an assessment not just be a bureaucratic process that a school undertakes that right protects a system that decides it would be easier to kind of segregate, doesn't it? Doesn't it give people agency in their own kids' lives? And I think if you don't kind of zoom out, and I'm literally standing back from my standing desk when I talk about zoom out, if you don't zoom out and look at that legal principle and understand where it comes from, it's kind of easy to think, wow, this is a bureaucratic bureaucratic nightmare. We're in a funding crisis and these parents are, are, are really, you know, it's really quite difficult. Do you see what I mean, Dale? I think as much as there is to be gained, unless we're really careful, there's stuff to be lost here too. I think it's when you hear people go, well, we can't meet their needs. It's like, okay, unless you're talking about, you almost have, you have you've got to get a go first. Yeah, you can't meet your need, their needs without you changing anything. Well, but should you change? Is it going to benefit others if you change? What, what you've got to ask those questions is that deeper thinking of, okay, so right now we could, but actually what could their education look like in this setting? And it's having those questions, not saying I can't meet the needs because if I look at my building as it is now, you can't meet that. I'm pretty sure that in our first house where it was one bedroom, a child couldn't have fitted in, so we moved house. I'm not saying you move schools, but things like that. You sit there and go, what is it we need for the future? What is it we actually need? And also, and we all know what works for SCND works for all, and there's various things like that. And when you can't, what is it you cannot meet the needs for? And is it your fear? Is it having to change? It? What is that reason? Because I'm very much that, as a society, we are getting more and more inclusive, which I love. And as a society, we are more accepting. It does not sound nice when I say we are more accepting. But I'm talking as a whole collection of people. Mm. Some people are really on board with it going, I really don't see a difference. Who are we accepting? They're the same as us. And everyone else is going, oh, my gosh. So it, as a society, we're becoming more accepting. So, And I think a lot of that starts with that inclusive school, that we are seeing lots of different people. We're accepting everyone as they are. And we're going, we're all together. We're all the same. We're different, but we're all the same type Do you thing. know, though, Dale, i got to stop you because I just, I just want to think about some, some facts that kind of undermine that a little bit. I think you're entirely right. I think that the, the language of understanding and acceptance has, has really become embedded. And there's some great things happening. However... We're also, you know, in the improvement plan, looking at, you know, 33 new free special schools. And we're looking at extending and enhancing the special school offer. Now, I realise, you know, that there are reasons for that. And I ran a special school, right? So I understand that specialist settings contribute enormously to the opportunity and enjoyment and, 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 and sort of achievement of, 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 of children with SEND. I'm, I'm not in any way taking anything away from that, but I think we have to keep our eye on the stats and, and look at how many of our children with the HCPs of school age are in specialist settings now and the numbers around, I don't know, I'm going to have to double check it, but I want to say something like 50%. And I'll, I'll double check it. But I realise that we can say the, the vast majority of children with SEND are in mainstream schools because they're the children at SEND support, right? Yeah. So, so on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, I feel like by setting in the 90s, 
which had a lift and manual handling training and a team of staff that worked around children with really highly complex needs. I thought I was going to have a career finishing when that was just basics in place for everybody, right? I thought 30 years later, we would have school schools and spaces that that was the first like the building block that was just the beginning at by this time in my career you know we'd be in a slightly different place than we are so I'm not I'm not a pessimist I'm I I know there's lots of great great work out there but finding the balance and this is the thing finding the balance so that it's a genuine choice for families of children with send it's a genuine choice between a mainstream setting and a specialist setting that's what I want I want people to be able to make a choice I actually even want people to be able to change their minds too because I'm I I don't think it should be as excruciatingly difficult as it is and when you're talking about consultations on can we meet need I do actually think that's a whole separate podcast because the (laughs) understanding of how a plan should be achieved and what should be in section F and the quality of the information about that and how frequently it's reviewed, I think is something I could talk to you about for another two hours, quite frankly. And it's, there are all sorts of little knotty parts of that that we could kind of unpick, but that's also a real interest in mine. Yes, there's these things like a child can be in school A and the class teacher can do everything and nothing's needed. That child can go to class, go to another school, not even like into secondary, but literally go from like to switch to another school. And in that school, they would need a TA. Yeah, because that that teacher cannot support them on their own. And that is, to me, this comes back to that ethos and who's leading on SEND. How important is SEND in that school? How is that training gone? How supportive that everything about that school? That is two very different pictures. And I think the more the leadership really embed SEND, the more SEND is entwined through everything, not a bolt on will mean that every school that is built now has lifts in and everything is physically able, everyone can access everything, not as a plug-in. Oh, actually. And that's the thing is I've, I've seen, I was talking to someone who was looking at design for a special school, really complex school, and the doors weren't wide enough. They're going, hang on, how have you done this? This is a brand new school you're building, the doors are. Did you not talk to anyone about this? And it's, it's, it's an, always an add-on, and it needs to be included from the start. And then we can make real change. And I'm hoping SEND and AP is getting that way. But I think that's what we really need. It's not a bolt-on. It's it's included from the start. Absolutely. I mean, what you're speaking to, I was having a chat with one of the providers at the Send Show about the accessibility plan and the duty under the Act to look at and and plan for the enhanced accessibility of your of your school, which is another conversation we could have. But also, you know, what I would say is this whole, I, 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 I love your optimism and I love your positivity and, and thank God that we all still have it actually in some measure. But when you talk about embedding SEND, what I want to embed is conversations about SEND, right? What I want to embed is, is people, everybody, Everyone delivering in a school feeling able to say, um, this is what I have in place. I think this part of it's really great. The feedback tells me this, but I know that there's something here that's not quite right. Where can I go? Who can help? What's your thought? And it's about conversations moving forward. You know, getting it wrong. At the end of the day, what was it? I was in a Barry Carpenter's webinar last week and he talked about, you know, education being essentially inquiry based. I call it trial and error. Everything ultimately is about try and error. Error. And, you know, as a teacher, every day you get stuff right and you get stuff wrong. And actually the conversations about what we get right and what we get wrong for our most vulnerable learners are a rich theme of learning for us as practitioners you know one of the richest we talk about children being in the pit and it's when the best learning happens and it is is i never fail i just find a new way it doesn't work but it also (laughs) 
When I find the way that works, I now see lots of reasons why that is the right way. Whereas if I stumbled into that the right first way, and this goes back to that depth, if I just do the right way every time because someone tells me to do that, I've never really understood why it's the right way. And, and then when I fall off that right way, I have no idea why what's gone wrong because I haven't understood. And I do think, some people call it failing, it is you're properly learning why something doesn't work. Okay, I got it wrong. Why did it go wrong? Da, 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 da. Okay, so if I change that, oh, isn't it? You learn so much. Absolutely. Don't Helen Arkell call, call call it? You know, first attempt at learning. I think Brené Brown's right. I think I think we have to be less concerned about being right and more concerned about getting it right. And getting it right is an ongoing daily pro- practice and process, really, isn't it? Yes. Everyone's hearing the podcast talk about being humble and vulnerable and yeah, things like hard, that and admitting though. you've made mistakes. It is hard. And generally, you if you have a leader who does it to you, you go and moan at them. They go, yeah, sorry, that wasn't me. You go, that's not how I was supposed to go. Oh, okay. And then it changes. We all have a leader every so often in our lives which is does that to us. And you're going, okay, they said it was their fault and they're going to fix it. Okay, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to have to fight for that. Oh, okay. And it, it yeah, so being whole, humble, being vulnerable, saying to parents, I don't know. Saying to teachers, I don't know, but I'll find out and come back to them. That's the thing, is if you don't know and you come back to them, that's worth a lot more than being knowing in the first place because you specifically found out just for them. Absolutely. Which is so rewarding. When someone does that for you and you're going, it's just the best feeling when someone does that for you. Another one of my little, you know, aphorisms is it's just the all feedback is good feedback. And at yes. the end of the day, you know, I'm, I train grown-ups who are much more troubled than children. I just want to say that to all of you. And you invite written feedback every session you do, right? So I go for suggestions on one colour, takeaways on another. And every time I do a session, I look at the suggestions. You know, too many handouts. You went too fast through this bit. You should move this bit and have it sooner on in the presentation. Why haven't we got a download of that? And every time I do a session, I look at the feedback and think, what can I change to make the next session better? And it isn't to make me popular with everybody, because believe you me, that's not going to happen. You know, a lot of people are not going to like my approach to things, but I do listen to what people tell me. And, you know, when when I first became a school leader, went through a cycle of anonymous feedback processes so that so that you could really understand how the situation is. It's not about what it should be. It's about where are we now? What do we know about that? Where do we want to be? How are we going to get there? And that kind of feedback cycle is really, an, that, ain't that assess, plan, do, review? Yes. You know, the feedback cycle, but it has to have integrity. I kind of feel like we've got onto about 25 different subjects here. I'm don't? just going to end it on just to remind you, Feedback only comes from those who care. If they don't care, they're not going to fill in that form. Yeah? If they're telling you you've done something wrong, it's because that bit you finally got to three quarters of the way through really would have helped them much earlier, and they want the next person to really get the most from it. So anytime you get feedback, positive or negative, it's from someone who cares and wants it to be better. And that's the thing you've always, even if it's a parent ranting at you, yeah, if they're ranting at you, they want you to change. If they're ranting behind your back, then they really don't care. But they're ranting at you, yeah, they're saying, actually, there's something here and I think you can do better. So they're obviously seeing something in you that is worth ranting at that you will change. Absolutely. I, so I, I love the all notion. feedback is from someone who cares and thinks that by giving that feedback, change will happen. There are things we always get annoyed with. People won't complain to certain airlines because they think nothing will happen. Yeah? Why call Ofcom? They're not going to change anything. You just, but when you do complain, you want it to change. Yeah. I'm with you on that, Dale. That's my feedback on that. <laughs> yes. So what I would say, to summarise all this up, whoever's in charge, the head teacher really has to be on board. 100%. Yeah. In reality, to me, the head teacher should be in charge. That's a whole, that becomes a whole school thing with that Senko supporting. 
If the Senko's in charge and the head teacher supporting, great. But overall, I think we really need to get to that by making send a head teacher responsibility. You're not going to be siloed out. You're going to be back in the middle with everyone else, just like a subject lead. Do you know what I I always say? Senkos make great heads, guys. So if there's Senkos listening to this, you know, I really hope that one day you might think, hmm, what fun that job might be. I can take all my knowledge and understanding with me. I would say that, being a Senko who became a head. But yeah, they make great heads. But, you know, I totally agree with you. Excellent. Right. Let's wrap it up. Thank you, Kamath Data. I loved, I loved all our segues. It's what I love doing. I love going all random and me saying my bit and then sort of going, yeah, no, no, it's not that. It's not going to be that lovely. It's all going to go wrong. And that's life. But yeah, hopefully, I'm really looking forward to this guidance. It's coming up at the end of this year, end of 2023. So we will see what that looks like. Hopefully, we'll be happy. Hopefully, we won't be groaning. And hopefully that when they comes out and we're like, oh, well, no, that's a bit too much for them to do. We'll just give it all back to Senko. We will see. But I am optimistic. I am hoping that it is a big change, this SAND and AP improvement plan, not a tweak, a big fundamental change, which will lead us, let us go forward really, really well. So Abigail's hopefully going to send me some bits to us, which I can share with you. She mentioned the Venn diagram, so I'll, I'll chase her for those. But she's, I've also got lots of links so you can find out more from Abigail and follow her on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever you want. And you'll find all of that, as always, wherever you listen to the podcast, in the show notes or on our website. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on X or Twitter, or on the artist formerly known as Twitter. We are at The Sendcast on Facebook, The Sendcast, Instagram, The Sendcast, very, very simple. And if you can review us anywhere, please review us and let others know what you think. And if you're looking for a simple, secure way to capture and share evidence of learning or a way to capture people's voice or a way to celebrate and share those big achievements, however small, or you just want a more engaging homeschool diary or reading diary, have a look at Eversense. Eversense is our evidence system that does so much more. This is really cost effective. Just imagine having an orange Facebook, which is really secure for your school. To find out more about Eversense, visit the B-Squared website. And you can also find out about our online training, our CPD, read our blog, watch my webinars. And you'll find a link to the website or to book a meeting with me so I can take you through Eversense or answer any questions you have about our products in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thanks, Dale. Bye, everyone. <laughs>